And I often say you have your best ideas. It's around the five Bs. When you're in the bath, you're on a bike, you're on a bus, you're sitting on a beach or you're reading a book. Hi, this is Angela Poon from Strive Stronger and you are listening to the Strive Stronger podcast. I'm with Andrew today and we're talking about something that we're hearing a lot from our clients, Andrew. We had a meeting recently and he was talking about a concept that we thought, wow, that's really interesting about how it's all about all peaks and no troughs at the moment. Mm, I thought he was talking about mountain ranges because I was drifting <laughs> off and then I got back into the conversation. And yeah, it fascinated you and I because we've it was just a beautiful way of articulating it. All peaks, no troughs, whereas in the olden days, we used to have some downtime. It felt like we used to work and then recover, work, recover, you know, repeat, there was your year. So all peaks, no troughs. Yeah, I was thinking, why do we always feel constantly so busy all the time? Is it because of the pandemic? Is it because of technology? So that's why I thought let's have a sit down and chat about what we think based on our experiences is causing this feeling of business and what we can do about it because it's not something that's sustainable, is it? No, it's not. And I didn't know what you were going to interview me about. So this is nice. So I'm sitting on the edge of my seat thinking, okay, which way are we going? Let's start with talking about this vicious cycle of responsiveness. And this is good timing because I'm writing a book on this called WorkFit. And just listen to those words, Ange, vicious cycle of responsiveness. The moment most people, and I, and I do emphasize most, wake up, grab their weapons of mass distraction, and it's on. So our central nervous system is controlling everything. It's our higher order operating system. And if you don't take control of it, it controls you. So I think that's where it starts. It's, it's physiological, it's psychological, it's emotional, it's all the owls together. And what happens when you wake up where plugged in. So by the time we walk through the office doors, if we're working from home, the hamster wheel has already begun. Whereas if you go back to when you and I started our career, you started yours a little bit later than I did, Ange, but there were these natural pause points. You'd wake up, have breakfast. Yes, we still had technology, but it wasn't as invasive as it was. And work would start around 8.30 or 9 o'clock. We've now, we've sort of got no gaps, that there's no, no, no pulsing anymore, this rhythmic pulse. So we try and go harder and harder in an effort to try and get ahead, but it's relentless and it's just like an avalanche of emails and text messages and WhatsApp groups and then social media and then you actually have some face-to-face meetings and then Teams and Zoom. And I'm sure people listening to this just feel like I do when I don't control this. You just wipe out your central nervous system. And is it because we're addicted to our technology? Because when I'm walking around or when I'm sitting at a restaurant or on the bus, for example, as soon as there's a moment of quiet, people immediately reach for their phones. I was sitting and having dinner with my friends the other day and was having a great time, but there was a bit of a lull in the silence. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we all just were looking through our phones. I'm like, why are we doing this? Next time you should say, hey, girls, let's catch up. We'll go to East Ride and bring your phones because if the conversation's shit, we'll just get on our mobile phones. But that's what it's like. It is part addiction to our technology. And, and we know the science around that. You're never going to win. It's been designed by the behavioral scientist at Stanford who got us addicted on poker machines. So when they got into Instagram and Facebook and a lot of the social media apps, you're never going to win. So you've got to know that this 
response, it's deep in our brains mm. of always wanting to, you know, scroll down that mm. wheel and check. Yeah, because I hear it's like they based it off the research where you pull the poker machine and your brain fires off these neurons and it's the same way when you're on your social media accounts and you pull and then there's that circle of wheel and you're wondering what's coming up next. It's the same sort of addictive receptors that are lighting up it's in your exactly brain. exactly the same. And it's the stimulus response, but it's also not knowing what's going to happen all the time. Because if you won every time you played, poker machines would be boring unless you won all the time, right? But it's the randomness that keeps people going back. So you get one win about out of every 15 or 17 hits. That's enough to keep people on the poker machines. Same as with Instagram, you get a lot of crap and then you might get one or two good things. It's enough to keep you going back. So it's the randomness that hooks us back in. But back to you out at dinner and I think when I'm with my family, I've got two kids now who both have mobile phones. Archie just got his dumb phone. We wanted to wait until he got into year seven to get a smartphone. So he's in year five, but he's got a phone because he's at soccer you know, four nights a week. So it just it's more for safety. But I've got to be cautious of mm. my behaviour as well because I know if I'm at home at the dinner table before dinner because we would never have mobiles at dinner, but if I'm on my phone and then I jump down the kid's throat, well, it's bad role modelling. So for people listening, just be conscious of that, how you always go for your mobile phone. So what I do, Ange, to override my monkey brain, I put it in a drawer at home. I put it in the hall stand so it's actually out of touch, out of sight because if it's there – even though I teach this, even though I know this, I will still look at it. So I just try and take it away from me when I'm at home in those peak hours with the kids. Is that why it's so hard to reach you sometimes, Andrew? Uh, yeah, that's called caller ID, Ange. <laughs> <laughs> I actually know why. That's, that's another thing we can talk about today. Why it is difficult to get me sometimes, and you know this, is because I do deep work and I actually get off my mobile. But, but to stick to, first of all, the, I spend so much time thinking about this and I know it's, it's never going to go back. So we just need to put some new practices in place. And when we do executive performance programs or leadership programs, you and I say this to our groups, what leaders do, their team members do. What parents do, their kids do. So when you're listening to this, just be really conscious of that behavior you have, both at work as a leader on your technology and at home as a leader in your family. Also, what we're seeing a lot with the uh, younger generation is also when they're working um, with technology, they're often multitasking as well. So they would have their computer in front of them, but then in between their arms, they'll have the technology or their smartphone face up and all these pop-up notifications are always distracting them. That mustn't be good for productivity. It's not, because it would be like sitting at a desk and then having people going, oh, Ange, hey, what about this? Woohoo, what about this? Now, some millennials will tell me, oh, but this is the way we grew up and, and my brain's different. Now, there's some research that shows, yes, kids that have grown up with you know, multiple messages might be able to get in and focus a little bit quicker than say, someone like my generation who didn't have a mobile phone. But the research is, is black and white. When it comes to high-end cognitive work, do one thing and one thing only. Our brains can't multitask. It's a myth male or female. At a high end, if you're a knowledge worker and you're paid to put content together and information and help people and leverage and all the things we do, when you're really working at a high end, do one thing. And, and interesting, in his new book, Indistractable, Nir Eyal explains this cycle of workplace technology. So I've just pulled this up, Ange, and he said it drives us crazy with four different things. Number one, people at work are always connected. And that, that's just the mantra, we're always on. Two, this totally reduces control over 
time because you're someone else's priority rather than making your own agenda. Three, there's this myth to get ahead, I always need to be available. And four, this leads to even further expectations, I always have to be on. So you can just see this vicious cycle going around and around and around. And, and we see this when we go into organizations, large and small. And it's always easy to comment as the consultant, right? When you go, like, why do you do this here? But it is just crazy behavior when you have fresh eyes and you look at an organization that the ripple starts first thing in the morning when the text messages start going and the WhatsApp and the email and the social media feeds. And you look at it and go, why are you doing this? I, I, I imagine sometimes if an alien or aliens came to planet Earth right now and looked at us, they'd go, you are so unproductive, you stupid humans. Why do you do this? And I want to touch on emails because I think when emails was first designed, it was to help us be more productive because we can facilitate communication a lot easier. But I think it's morphed into if you receive an email, there's this expectation or this unspoken expectation and needs to be responded to straight away. But I don't believe that that's what email was initially designed no, for. No, well, email was initially designed in America from the US government to get information from the East Coast to the West Coast much quicker than it was to drive across, uh, which took a couple of days. You know, like horse and cart would be a couple of days, then it may have taken a day. But then what email was, was asynchronous communication. So there was meant to be a gap when a general on the East Coast sent the electronic mail to a general or a soldier on the West Coast, and there was a, a natural pause point. But what's happened is we've got rid of the A in the asynchronous, and it's now just synchronous, so people have conversations and treat it like it's, it's live social media. Now, we have this in Stride Stronger, and If you send me an email, it's, hey, here's some information, get back to me when you've got time or when you're working on it. If it's urgent, you'll text me. If it's really important, you'll call. So I, I just think that categorization alone can save companies so much distraction and increase so much attention. But yeah, we just use email and we WhatsApp's another one. And, and then you've got Slack with a lot of organizations. So it just adds another thread of technology to hijack people's attention if you don't put some rules around it. Because we are designed Way back to you know the original conversation, all peaks, no troughs, we're designed to pulse. So how do you put some boundaries around that? What are some basic boundaries for the people that are listening that they should be putting in place, especially if they're a team member and this is the culture of the organisation, there's little that they can do and they feel like they have to be responsive in order to look productive. What is your advice to them? Yeah, it's a good question. And the first thing I would do before I do anything is make sure I have a chat to my manager or, or my lead and explain, I want to work smarter. I think as a group, we are being hijacked. I think our attention is being hijacked because you need coverage on this or you need support on this. So if you start swimming against the current, you're going to pop out, even though you're trying to be more productive. So I'd have a chat to your leader. And for a lot of people now with this rhythm, it tends to be at the office a couple of days a week and at home a few days a week. Personally, I would use the time at home to do my deep work. And then I would align that to my chronobiology, meaning if I'm a, a gazelle or a morning person, I'd work one or two mornings a week undistracted. And, and you know, I do that. 
often I'll get in early at 5.30, 6 o'clock and I'll do a couple of hours before anyone in our office either gets in or even gets up some days. And it's, it, it, it works for me. But if you're an evening person, I'd do that of an evening or a late afternoon. And two-thirds of people will be a hybrid. They're the tigers. You know, they're good late morning. Hello, tigers. Uh, and then they have a crash at lunch and then they're good mid-afternoon. So one, I would have a talk to my manager. Hey, I want to work a lot smarter. I think we can work a lot smarter. Two is then I would look at it for most companies who have this blend or hybrid blend between in the office and working from home. I do it on one of my home days and just get stuck into deep work. Now, and you see this when we coach people, when we run programs, we get feedback all the time. People come back and go, that sounds so simple, but I've started doing that. OMG, Tuesday mornings when I do that two hours of deep work without family and without distractions, I get more done than I normally do in a month. It just works. And doing those deep work, the other thing that we teach our uh, clients is to switch off those notifications, those bips and the bops and the that's what's totally distracting us and making us move from one thing to the other without really focusing on any one thing. So removing notifications is one. The other thing we also talk about is instead of just relying on email as a communication for urgent messages, texting or calling I think we've lost the art of picking up the phone and talking to each other as well to to relay urgent messages and relying on um, the high priority function in emails. Yes, full stop. <laughs> that simple productivity code that we use, if it's information to share, it's an email or we might send a hyperlink. If it's important, I'll text someone. And if it's urgent, I'll ring you. And, and we do that. And it works. So I know if you're ringing me, it's really important. I know if it's a text, I've got to get back. I know if it's an email, I'll do that to fit into my rhythm. Whereas when you don't have that that operating system, just every email, and, and you see this, we see this all the time. Someone's working on a high-end document. They're, they're in beta brainwaves, which is good. And they're thinking about the project. They're doing really good work. When one distraction comes in, the science on this shows it can take 24 to 25 minutes to get back into flow. So it's just so unproductive when you're doing that deep work, when you've got messages buzzing and binging and dinging and danging, and we've all done it. And then you're like, oh, where was I in the document? Oh, shit, where, where was I in that, that calculation? Or you thought you've sent an email, but it's in your draft because you actually never pressed the send button. Yeah, yeah. And, and it gets even deeper. For those people that need to be creative and innovative, busyness kills creativity mm-hmm. and innovation. And we know this again from brainwave or from, from brain science. You also, when you're being creative and you're being innovative, you want to shift brain state. So we want people to go alpha. That's that brainwave state where you reflect and ruminate. And I often say you have your best ideas. It's around the five Bs. When you're in the bath, you're on a bike, you're on a bus, you're sitting on a beach or you're reading a book. So you're focusing on something else and you're allowing that subconscious to run through. Now, you're never going to get into alpha, that creative brainwave state, if you're always being distracted, if you're always being notified as well. So to go even deeper on the week, with creatives I work with, with business owners I work with, I'll absolutely schedule some time for them to go alpha and then we'll explain what that means, is have some creative time, have some time, you know, reflective practice where you allow your mind to wander. And, and for me, when I write, you know, I go down the south coast to Jeroa to get away from you all uh, with respect. And then when I'm stuck on an idea or I'm trying to ruminate on something, I'll walk. And it's amazing while I'm walking along the headland in Jeroa with Toby the dog, 
how so many ideas sharpen, how so many ideas get really clear. And Dr. Tom Buckley and I often talk about this, that someone will read an article or a white paper or listen to a podcast and go, oh, that sounds really clear. And you should have heard it when we first started. It was bloody awful. It was all over the place. But it's that process of allowing that creative thought to come through that we've built in as a practice. And I think that's a missing art, Ange. Mm. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with that as well. And this is probably why we're so busy all the time because I think some people are filling their days with busyness because it's seen as a badge of honour. It's seen as being productive. It's seen as adding that value. But what you're saying here, Andrew, is that slowing down, having that space to be able to think and ruminate and not just pumping out things and being seen as productive is actually really helpful. Mm. Pump out things and be super productive, but have time to slow down. And, and, and one of my favorite sayings, you know, Ange, is busyness is not a proxy for productivity. Yeah, productivity is a proxy for productivity, and that's working smarter. That's working aligned to a natural pulse. It's working aligned to your natural energy rhythm. It's working aligned to people you work with. It's having a code of behaviors. And you're super productive. So what else do you do or what else have you picked up on this? Because you spent time in a global consulting firm. And when you first started working with me, we had to, you know, I wanted to keep a lot of the great stuff, but there's a few things we had to chip away at. So what have you done as an iOS upgrade to be more productive? Such a good question. I think one of the things that I do every morning now that I didn't always used to do was to review the activities or the tasks that I have for the day and prioritise based on where our clients are at, where our business is at, based on where our conversations are at, and not just blindly go through my to-do list from the day before because that was there and it, it's it's something that to, that's to be done. Priorities change and go, especially in the small business. We're very agile. So it's looking back and going, okay, these activities or these tasks, are they going to add value? Is it going to help us move the business in the direction that we want to? Can certain things wait? So that reflective time, and it only takes about 10, 15 minutes every morning, but just by doing that, it helps me realign what I'm going to do and my plans for the day so that the things that I'm spending time on, I know is actually going to be something that is of value and not just filling up my days with busy tasks that I feel like I should be done because at some point um, we'd said that this needed to be done at a particular point in time. But things change. So allowing myself to do that reflective time at the beginning of the day, but also at the end of the day. Because often when we're in organisations that has a culture of meeting after meeting and just responding to emails, you sit back at the end of the day and you're going, I felt really busy, but I don't know what I've done. And you don't feel that sense of satisfaction that you've produced something of value so what we advise our clients and something that I do practice as well is to look back and go, okay, what have I achieved today? What can I tick off and what can be carried forward to the next day? Because by looking through and physically ticking things off, I get that sense of, okay, I have achieved something and I'm not, I've, I haven't just had a busy day and, and wondering, well, what, what's, it's not just a bunch of meetings or it's not just a bunch of emails that I've responded to. There are things that I'm It's such a achieving. clear delineation that, uh, how was that? I'm really busy. No, no. What did you achieve today? I think that's a much better question as well. And it would be remiss of us to not then talk about the five big rocks because you've just mentioned two of those. 
what we practice at Stride Stronger and what we teach our clients as well is five big rocks. So every week in your diary, you've got to put in the five big rocks. And I adapted this story from Stephen Covey with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. When they talk about with a goldfish, first of all, you put in, you know, you've got the tank, you put in the big rocks, you put in the pebbles, you put in the little floaty thing, the sand, then the water, and then you throw in Nemo. Whereas what a lot of us tend to do is get the tank, we throw in Nemo, and then crush poor little Nemo with big rocks and water, and there's just this random approach. So the big rocks gets your order or your structure in place. Number one, it's a weekly plan. So at the start of the weekend, on a Sunday night or a Monday morning, I, I print out my diary. I'm a bit old school, but I do it in A3. And then I just look at how aligned is this to my purpose? You know, do I have my five sales meetings locked in every single week, the five red? What keynotes do I have coming up? What programs do we have coming up? What coaching sessions? It just gives me a higher order view. But actually, first of all, I put in my fitness and time with family. So that keeps me balanced and energized and stable. Uh, the second thing is it's then our Monday morning meeting. It's only 30 minutes, but you and I meet with the team. Uh, Todd will go through all the andrewmay.com stuff, what keynotes are coming up. You'll then go through programs we've got coming up, what's happening on our exciting new digital platform. And then everyone goes around the grounds, what they did last week. So there's a bit of gratitude, you know, the highlight and their focus for this week. So what that actually does for you and I, it saves us half a day of lost productivity on Monday morning because then at 9.30, everyone's ready to work. It's, it's, a, it's a game changer on productivity. Three is what you spoke about. It's that reflective practice or a daily walk warm up. The jock in me borrowed this from sport. You don't just start training or competing. You warm up. And that's where you look at your day. What are the key performance moments? What meetings, what presentations, what proposals, what bits of content do I have to produce to help the business goals and where we are? The reflective practice at the end of the day, looking back, you, you've been really good for me on that because I used to talk about it but not do it all the time. But that's where you look back on the day and then close out fresh bread, stale bread. While stuff's fresh, it's so much quicker to write up the document, finish the proposal, send the email, and then start the next day afresh. And the fifth one, and this is really important, and especially we found when we get really busy, because sometimes you don't have that luxury of a Friday afternoon, or it can sometimes creep to a Saturday morning, where you look in the review mirror and close everything out. But I know when I do that, and I know when we do that as a team, one, your, your weekly plan, Two, you do a daily warm-up every day. Three is you do a daily warm-down. I sort of throw in four as well, deep work. I miss putting that into the five. And then number five, the rearview mirror. It just fits the important stuff in. And then you might get a bit distracted. Then you might respond to some last-minute things. But you finish the week and feel like you've achieved some really important task rather than just being a pinball bouncing around. And I think the other thing to add to that is also finding moments to have those micro recovery breaks as well and not just constantly being feeling like you need to be on and moving to the next thing and taking those breaks within the day. And it could just be like short breaks. But what I do, especially if I'm working from home and it's a nice sunny day, if I've done a big thing, I've put out a proposal or we've had a big meeting, I'll walk outside and I'll just admire my garden for a moment just to have a little bit of a pause point before I dived straight back into the next thing. I think that's what a lot of people are missing these days because they'll just go from one meeting to the next and the next email to the next delivery. And before they know it, they haven't moved from the desk. They haven't even had lunch for the day. Yeah, look, it's such a valid point. And the micro recovery breaks, the foundation of that I got from sport, like you know, tennis players, 
have 20 seconds in every game to bounce the ball or between games. Uh, my cricketers will go out and do gardening, men and women out in the middle of the pitch. They'll get their cricket bat. You know, there's rollers, three-ton rollers that roll the pitch. Um, my netballers will, will spin or pivot the ball before shooting. And in rugby league, the players just have a natural pause point or a drop in intensity before a scrum. Then they go again. Sport builds this in beautifully. You don't, you don't watch a, a game of football, Ange, for 80 minutes and it's go, 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 go. It's go and then a little bit of recovery. It's go and then a little bit of recovery. So play your productivity game like athletes play sport and build in some micro recovery breaks. And, and, and the feedback that we get on the micro recovery break, it's, oh, wow, I thought I had to do 90 minutes of yoga or I thought you know I had to do all this really technical stuff. No, just have a, a 30 second to 90 second little break in between your performance moments and allow your body to shift state. And, and when you do this and train, and, and I didn't actually realize that you go out, well, I know you go outside, but I didn't realize you build that reflective practice in. I like that. Two things you want to try and do in a micro recovery break. And the more you train, the more that this will be accelerated. Number one is you want to switch off your brain. So you want to go alpha. And nature is the best way to switch off that crazy monkey brain and get outside and just, you know, that wonderment. And, oh, look at my garden. Look at the flowers. So you're dropping the brain intensity. And the second thing is you want to go parasympathetic. You want to get your body out of stress and the sympathetic nervous system and just drop the heart rate a little bit. Just drop the breathing rate a little bit. Just get that physiology to slow down and then ramp back up. And, and, and we see this. When people train this, they just come back and their eyes are wide open. Ange, Andrew, I can't believe how productive I am. And we almost feel like going, duh. But look, we, we, we love hearing people do this. But just put in the basics, you know, break up with busyness. I think if we frame this, number one, you've got to break up with busyness. And if you're listening to the first part of this with Ange and I, and it's all peaks, no troughs, put your hand up. Hello, insert your name. I'm addicted to technology. I am on the technology train. I need to take control of this. Because if you don't have that awareness, you're not going to be able to move to phase two, which is make up with productivity. And I think I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here, but I think busyness is a choice. Oh, I love controversy. Explain. I think it's because like as a society, we value being productive. And often when we ask people, how's your day? What's the first thing people busy. say? I'm busy. And why do they say that? It's a default. Well, you know the game that I used to play at KPMG in the lift. Like, how are you? Are you busy? No. And people would twitch. How are you going? Oh, yeah, really busy. And they go, Andrea, you're not busy. No, I'm productive. You know, doing some really good work. I'd, I'd do it just to be a bit of a smart Alice. But people would start to like look at you because it is just the default. And it's a bad answer. Mm. I think people would say it because it's seen as though they're very valued, that they are really important. So we always say this, that business is shouldn't be worn as a badge of honour, which in our society, it often is, and it's like we re- we should be rewarded. There's some, some sort of mechanism where people think that because I'm busy, therefore I'm valued, therefore I'm a productive member of society. But what we're trying to say here is that just because you're busy doesn't mean you're productive. Mm. Be effective. Be yeah, knocking the lights out in little bits of peri- in little bits of work, and then have lots of recovery. But even as I say that. There's a grind because I know in enterprise, in big business, if you started talking like that, everyone's going to think you're crazy. I used to do it at KPMG just to stir people. But I think there needs to be a massive cultural shift on this. And one of the open loops that we've still got from the start, Ange, 
is with COVID has accelerated this. So you said, why are we all so busy? Well, pre in Australia, Monday, 16th of March, 2020, I think we had more of a natural work, recover, work, recover, because most people would go to work. Yeah, then we shifted to WFH and then we're just on Teams or we're on Zoom from first thing in the morning to late at night. Now we're getting back into this hybrid phase where most companies are saying, come back into the office two or three days a week, work from home a couple of days, and then you might be on a client side or a hybrid mix. But there's no rule book for this. I think it's exciting. But the rule book is not going back to what it was. The rule book needs to be what it's going to become. And companies have an opportunity, I reckon in the next six months, and then it's closed, because it's still new. And the opportunity in the next six months is to totally redefine what it means to be productive in organizations. And some of the companies we work with who are doing this well, they'll come into the office and COVID guidelines, because we've got another outbreak, so we've always got this in the back of our minds, but they'll come into the office and they will connect, they'll communicate. I think what a lot of us have really missed working from home is just that camaraderie. Now, people used to think we had to have meetings and, and, and be live. No, we can do that on, on Teams and technology. But you get that social glue by coming together. And then the companies, I think, that are doing this well is then they build in time, but permission, then at home, do some deep work. Yeah, and, and don't just spend all day at home from meeting to the meeting to meeting to meeting. And when you get that rhythm right between connection and then getting off the grid for knowledge workers and doing some work, you're just so much more productive. And what I'm hearing also is to not to take that control and be accountable for yourself because often people would try to put in time to do that deep work but then something else comes along in a meeting and then that's one of the first things that disappears or goes away. How do you ensure that you put in that discipline to protect that time? What are your what are some of your strategies because you're really busy and there's often a lot of demands on your times Andrew but you 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 fiercely protect your deep focus time. Yeah, I do. And I've been doing this and sharpening this for years. So what I do may not be available for everyone. But if, I mentioned before, when I write a book, I get off the grid. I'll go down to Jeroa for a week or five days. And I just, I get excited even when I think about it. I've got my next block, writing block coming up in about three weeks. So I will just carve out that time. And Todd, my EA, knows this. Ideally, no meetings. So we try and really stack the week before. And I'll just free up as much space as I possibly can. Now, that, that's extreme for a lot of people who are employed uh, in a job. You can't just say, hey, I'm, I'm off the grid for might a week. It might be a CLM. It might be a career-limiting move, yeah. But if I come down a, a step from that, in a busy week where we're working with clients and doing sales and I'm doing mental skills and presenting and I've got four kids and keeping all that going – I just live by my better week. And even in a really busy weekend, if I can just get two or three hours of deep work in around all the delivery, I know I'm going to be okay. And what, what I know, the busier I am, the more I need some of that downtime because it just helps me reflect and catch up. And then when I, I go to events, when I've done the planning, I, I feel in control and I feel ahead of the conversation. When I don't build in some downtime, and this has happened sometimes in October and February when I don't build this in, because that's busy keynote season, but Todd now knows it to, to remind me to do it. If I'm just go, 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 I, I really do get caught up on that business trap and I'm talking about getting off it. So I've just got to practice all the basics that we're talking about today. 
And it sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it, that when you're really busy, they actually have to slow down. And amongst, we've spoken to a number of our clients where they're like, how do, I, how do I speed up? How do I do more? And the one thing that you've told them first is like, actually, in order to speed up, you have to slow down. And I remember we had a recent webinar. It was a number of weeks into a Match Fit Leader program. And the client had said, I've had a really busy week, but I've felt the most calm that I've felt even though I've had a really busy period and I'm, I'm able to manage it all. So what we teach really works. It's changing that language. And even as you're saying that, most people busy is a negative connotation that I'm not in control, that other people are managing my diary and I'm a pinball. I think that's what most people think when it comes to the word busy. Whereas productive is much more in my terms. I feel like I was carving out time. I felt like I was in control. And it sounds like such a little thing, but when I'm working with, with execs or founders and one-on-one, I really get them to think about that language because that language that they use cascades throughout a whole organization. For any leaders listening to this, if you can just cut out that overuse of the word busy and, and even just replace that with productive or focused, just, just play with it. It'll feel weird to start with. Just notice the different conversations you have. Notice the difference in energy and, and really start to teach. And, and we are busy. Like There's times where we go, yeah, we're bloody busy and we've got a lot on. But we do live and breathe this because I've tried to just fill in all the gaps and you know, all peaks, no troughs. I've almost burnt out twice and I'm not going to go there a third time. Thanks, Andrew, for giving me your time today. Yeah, productive time and not busy time. That's right. And there were a number of key takeaways that I took away from this session today. I think about four things. The first one is about language. It's such a small thing, but deleting that word busy from our vocabulary and replacing that with focus or being productive or being effective I think that was, that's just a slight tweak that we can all start practicing now, even though it might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, number two is breaking up with the business cycle, taking control of your central nervous system. And the third thing I took away from this was to make up with productivity and the five big rocks that you spoke about with developing a weekly plan, the daily warm-up and the daily warm-down, number four being deep work, and then the fifth one being that rear-view mirror. I think putting those things in place, which we do and we practice and we teach our clients and our team, really helps refocus so that we're feeling that we're achieving something at the end of the week and not just being on that busyness cycle. And the fourth thing I took away from today was putting in those micro recovery breaks. And I'm going to add five because you know I like odd numbers, not even numbers. Five is be a student of, of the craft. I, I like to think that every week you have a blank canvas, a masterpiece, and you, you love to paint. You're a, you're a beautiful painter. So when you're painting on a canvas, you're creating something that's worthwhile. You're creating something that's nice to look at. I, I like to think of my diary in a similar way. If you can set up your diary for 40 weeks of the year to be productive and put in most of what we're talking about today, you're going to win the game. And that allows for some downtime. We've spoken about this in a separate podcast, but with the school calendar, but also the way big companies have their quarterly reporting cycle, 
Go hard for 10 or 11 weeks and then downregulate for one or two. Hard for 10 or 11, downregulate for one or two. So that's where I get the 40 weeks from. If you do that, you're going to win the game. And that allows some creep and that allows some craziness. But you will get through a year and feel like you have focused on what's important. You'll feel like you've nourished yourself. You've connected with your loved ones. And it's a much better place to be. So yeah, I have to add number five, otherwise I'll twitch. But be a student because I've noticed, Ange, when people start getting a real interest in this and and study this, and it doesn't mean study every single book, but to study their behaviour, what works, what doesn't, it really makes a difference. Thanks, Andrew. So from out of all of that that you just spoke about, I think my biggest takeaway that we should all do is to start booking in our holidays. And we've got some really important productive meetings to go to. So let's get out of here. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, look, do book in holidays. If people are listening to this and they haven't got their holidays booked in, do that first. But yes, we've got some productive meetings. So let's scram. Hey, it's Andrew. And we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Stride Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, Focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com where you can explore the books I have written, including MatchFit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite. Or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.